It's time for Vax Talk. Let's talk VPDs. We're shaping the conversation about vaccines. To learn more, visit VaxTalk.org. Hello, and welcome to Vax Talk. This is the podcast for people who understand that at some point in their lives, they're going to believe some disinformation. My yeah. name is, yeah, that's fair. The first step is recognizing that it will happen. That's right. Knowing is half the problem, half the battle. Mm-hmm. My name is Karen Ernst, and I'm the executive director of Voices for Vaccines. And I'm Dr. Nathan Boonster, general pediatrician here at Blank Children's Hospital in Des Moines, Iowa. And we are super excited to have you with us today. We're going to be talking to NBC journalist Brandy Zadrozny. She works on the digital end and she covers basically her beat is the internet. We wanted to talk to her today about misinformation and disinformation because she has been investigating it and reporting on it for many, many years. Yeah, it's an exciting interview. Uh, I've been... Uh, following her for ages and so so happy to get the chance to chat with her yes and i've had the pleasure of being interviewed by her Mm -hmm. and she is very thorough in her work she's extremely thorough and she has my respect because when i tell journalists something if their question back to me is how do you know that Mm -hmm. and i have to prove it to them then i feel good about them digging into the topic of vaccination. Right. So that is the second half of the, fir- of the podcast. The first half is, of course, around the web. Mm. And I'm going to go first because mine okay. actually comes from NBC News. Okay. So, and I, I think it was um, Ben Collins, but um, I think Brandy was in on the reporting of this too. So I might as well just, you know, keep talking about her. Good um job. But they reported, NBC News reported that anti-vaccine Facebook groups have been renaming themselves in order to avoid detection. Hmm. So they've been renaming themselves like the dance party Uh or, you know, like if they're talking about vaccines, they'll they'll call the vaccine the hokey pokey. Um, I know I... I know that in Minnesota, the anti-vaccine group in Minnesota renamed itself Minnesota Meetups. So just sort of really generic, bland sounding names. And this does two basic things. So first of all, it keeps the groups together, right? They're not getting forced off of Facebook by tripping on an algorithm because they are, you know, moms who hate vaccines or something. Um, Instead, they're moms who hate the hokey pokey or Uh however they're renaming themselves. (laughs) Uh, But the second thing it does, actually, is it sort of makes those groups perhaps less appealing to the general public. So if someone has an inclination to have questions about vaccines, they're not going to join moms who hate the hokey pokey. Or, you know, as it's called in Minnesota, Minnesota meetups, right? That's just not going to entice somebody who's like, mm-hmm. well, I want to get both sides of the story. So let's see right. what this dance party has to do. Um, it's, it's <laughs> you know, it's sort of 
it it helps them feel connected and feel as though they are not quite the outliers that they are, or although they're less and less outliers these days, which is sad. But um, it doesn't, it makes their recruitment process a little bit more difficult. So I'll put that link in the show notes but um it's an it's an interesting thing to think about as far as how anti-vaxxers are always trying to stay one step ahead of any limitations or rules that are put on them i have to say um that hokey pokey that's actually hilarious that's a great secret code word i'm surprised that that has only recently popped up as having any like prevalence in terms of seeing, you know, vaccines called that. Because if I were an anti-vaxxer, I would have, I'd call them <laughs> the hokey pokies all the time because it like integrates the hoax hoaxy and pokey. Pokes. I love it. That's brilliant. Took you too long. The hoaxy pokesy. <laughs> Sounds My like something precious. Gollum would say. My- <laughs> Oh my god, we're very, very serious on this podcast about it. (laughs) Yes. All right. Uh, And it's interesting too in that, like, it's been a very long time that they've tried to just avoid using the word vaccines and all the fun ways that they contort vaccines putting like mm-hmm. we're going to use open parentheses instead of the c's and we're going to do all this <laughs> we're going to use that way that you yeah. make things appear upside down in your whatever thing okay you're going through a lot of effort to like not be able to talk about what you want to talk about or to talk about what you want to talk about you know though i i i understand more and more why they do that because if you search for voices yeah. for vaccines as a person who maybe doesn't isn't a follower of the page on Facebook, it do, it doesn't come up. I mean, I really yeah. like, I, I got to force it out there onto sure. the world. Like yeah. I'm in your face because I'm working really hard to be on your in your right. face. And just because right now the algorithms kind of devalue well, non-official sources, is that if, if you have, if you're the word vaccine, you if you're not like the CDC or Johns Hopkins, mm-hmm. good luck to right. you. Even if yep. you're a, a pretty solid source of information, yeah. it's, you know, because really vaccine hesitancy was all about people not being able to find the CDC on Facebook. Right. <sighs> right. So that was exactly it. <laughs> so I get why they do that, but I'm still going to use the word vaccine because it's yeah. pretty descriptive as far as, you know what we're talking about you know you're you're talking pretty tough for somebody who go who also is known as fred jenkins (laughs) well the fred jenkins thing was an accident (laughs) i don't know i'm thinking about having some sort of like car parade for fred that's a great idea i think it needs yeah i like it well karen i want to talk a little bit about the what i feel like is really the vaccine topic du jour which is vaccination mandates so i I don't want to get too in depth with it because it's going to evolve over time. And by the time, you know, people listen to this, there's going to be new releases and discussion and whatnot. But I would like to point out that there's been a a kind of a joint statement by the American Medical Association, the American Academy of Pediatrics and other major medical groups calling for um, 
calling for required vaccinations for medical employees and I think for, for healthcare employees. And I think that it is extremely important because we really are now at the point where uh, we're looking at needing to mask up again, even if you're immunized and uh, all kinds of changing recommendations and the Delta variant causing increases in cases and deaths in areas and this is entirely preventable and we've kind of done all the carroting that we can um, in terms of getting people to get immunized i think it is time to start thinking about how are we going to actually get this country to the point where we have good herd immunity and can be safely able to reduce requirements uh reduce those um uh, you know public health requirements for good and actually get this uh, uh, pandemic under the to the point where we can do that kind of thing. And so uh, I support the AAP and other groups that are doing this and I'm seeing healthcare groups start to move that way and I hope that that's I, the trend. I completely agree and I really feel like if you don't want to get vaccinated, your life should be a little bit more limited so that you can keep from making others sick and keep from stressing our healthcare system. And and I, I really feel that private businesses should have the freedom to be able to say, yes. you know, we want our business to keep going. So, you know, we're an office space, for example. If you want to work here in person with your colleagues, mm -hmm come into the office, you need to be vaccinated. If your job requires you to be here in person with your colleagues and you're not getting vaccinated mm -hmm. and you can't come in and perform your job duties, then you need to find another job. And that's not a mandate as much as it is like, this is how we have to keep everybody safe. I do have some sympathy for people who are running restaurants and retail establishments right now where it's real hard to find sure. workers because a lot of people during the pandemic discovered new paths of employment that didn't have the general public being total jerks mm -hmm. to them all the time. And so for little pay, yeah. right? So um, I, I can see how someone being like, well, you mm -hmm. don't tell me I have to make my employees get vaccinated because then I won't have employees. Uh, but I, th I think for your average job, right. it's, you know, if you're a person who is teaching in front of a classroom full of kids, you should have to be vaccinated. You mm -hmm. know, if you're a person who works at the front desk at a veterinarian, you should have to be vaccinated. You know, when you have that person to person contact, yep. even if you're just a person who works at, you know, a, a paper factory and you sell paper and you're in an office, you know, and you just have your colleagues mm -hmm. to think about, you still have your colleagues to think about. So, you know, y your your boss can look at you yeah. and be like, you know what would be terrible is if like we all lost two months worth of work because COVID swept through this office. So you have to get vaccinated. And, and I, I yeah. think that's only fair. I also think, you know, cruise lines, for example, out of Florida should be able to, <laughs> should be able to say, <laughs> hey, no vaccine, no cruise. Yes. Airlines should be able to say, you know, 12 and over, no vaccine, no airlines. Well, and it makes me think about what can the federal government do? Because, you know, a lot of these things are very state dependent. You know, we're not going to get you know, the CDC's rec and AAP are recommending um, masks for everybody uh, in grade school for you know kindergarten through 12th grade. But that's mm -hmm. a state dependent 
as far as the laws there in Iowa, that ain't going to happen. Here we are. <laughs> you can read all about Iowa right. and why that's not going to happen. Um, but, you know, what can we do on a federal level? What things does do or is there control over? It sounds like um, federal employees are going to be required to have immunizations. I was also wondering about as far as like um, airplane travel, if that's something that is in the purview of the federal government to require to to get the FAA or whatever, however it works as far as or TSA or however it works to require um, vaccines for airplane travel. Yeah, I don't know. It sounds like that's another great episode of Vax Talk that we need to have. Yeah. Get get our friend Dorit on the on the horn and mm-hmm. ask her about that. Yep. Stay tuned. Stay tuned for that. Um, but I am glad that you know pr- professional healthcare organizations are saying, yeah, mandate us, make us get mm-hmm. vaccinated, because the number of of people working in healthcare facilities who are not vaccinated is shockingly high. For what for yeah, what it, it should be. Depends on the place, but yeah, it it, it can be high. It, I mean, I'm talking about overall, so that's kind of unfair. Mm-hmm. But you know, it it feels like people who've worked in healthcare it should be zero percent. People who've worked in nursing homes, no one should be unvaccinated there. You know, let's let's right. get our act together, America. I did want to read also just one tweet that I got on this topic. That's actually from um France. It's Emmanuel Macron who said, Mm -hmm. the freedom where I owe no one anything does not exist. That's not freedom. It's called irresponsibility, selfishness. (laughs) Freedom is based on a sense of reciprocal duty. So I like that. It's well done. Yeah, good job. I could read it in French too. I've got it here in French, but I'm not going to. Okay. Oh, yeah. Nobody needs to hear me speak my like high school French. (laughs) So... I guess it's time to turn to our interview with Brandy. Sounds good. We're joined now by Brandy Zadrozny, who is a wonderful investigative journalist at NBC and has done lots of work on disinformation and vaccine disinformation in particular. So welcome, Brandy. It's so great to have you on here. Oh, my gosh. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And I'm excited to have you on here because you have interviewed me before and it's nice to turn the tables. (laughs) Okay. I'm a little nervous, but here we go. (laughs) Fortunately, you were nice, so it's good. Um, So I just want to set up something for you. In the movie, It's a Wonderful Life, George Bailey in his alternative George Bailey-less reality goes through and visits all the people in his life and finds out what a disaster their lives were without him. Um, he, the last person he goes to see, that's the, the straw that breaks the camel's back that he knows he has to exist in this world, is his wife. And the terrible fate that has befallen his wife, do you know what it is? No. <laughs> She's a librarian. <laughs> the original spinster, of course. <laughs> yes. And so this is, of course, germane to you because you were at one point a librarian. And I was hoping, because I've always said in another life I would have been a research librarian, I was hoping that you could just tell us briefly about your time as a librarian and how that led you 
to investigating disinformation? Yeah, so uh, I I've had like a million jobs before. I I'm, I didn't go to journalism school. I went to school to become an uh, English teacher, and I became an English teacher. I taught middle school kids. Um, we you know um, read To Kill a Mockingbird and and things like that, and it was great. Um, but then I moved to New York, and I got a job at this school that didn't have um, many resources at all, including it didn't have a library. And so I said, you know, my kids need a library. And I tried to build a library. Um, I got, you know, books donated and I, you know, we built shelves with roommates on the weekends. And it was it was sort of a, um, a you know, thrown together with scotch tape and a dream. And because of union rules, they said that I wasn't allowed to be a librarian if I wasn't a librarian. So I said, OK, I love school. I'll go, you know, get a library degree. And I did that. And while I was doing it, um, I love, I love order and I love making sense of the world. And so part of what drew me to libraries was just love of that. I got to do some internships, various places. And one of those places was um, a library at ABC News. They had an old news library, which is, if you've ever seen the movie Desk Set with Katherine Hepburn, which is like a million years old. I haven't. But, I'm going to watch uh, it though. It's, it's like, it's, it's a bunch, it was a room full of the smartest. It started mostly women because it was a librarian field, but um, the smartest people you'd want to meet. And they were all in a room and the people in the newsroom reporters would say, Hey, you know, Karen, I need to know who the mayor of uh, XYZ, you know, town in Iowa is. And they would tell you before we had Google, or I need everything we've ever written about you know, this crater in the middle of town, and they'd give you all the clips from that, which they had like in a library in the newsroom. So they had these newsroom libraries. I worked at one of those at ABC News. It was awesome. I loved it. And so I sort of got the news bug. And um, from there, I moved to Vermont. And um, I worked at lots of different libraries. I worked at um, an academic library at Champlain College. I worked at a local public library. Um, and I just, I just love librarianship. I think it's just a real public good. And so, um, from that, I worked at Fox News's library back in New York city because they have one alarmingly. And, um, and then when I got so disgusted with myself that I couldn't work there another day, I took a huge pay cut to be a baby reporter at the daily beast. And, um, they loved the skills that go into librarianship. I'm a really good researcher. I'm really good at um, just I investigating public records and, and things like that, that good reporters should have all of those, um, those qualities. And so I became a baby reporter at the Daily Beast and then did a lot of internet work. <laughs> and then I became a reporter at NBC News and that's sort of where I am now. But I think the ethos of a librarian and the ethos of a journalist are actually incredibly similar and it is to provide a service i consider them both service professions provide a service of giving information to the public that they they need and that they want um so so that's that's sort of what bridges that gap for me i love that story and i didn't realize that you used to be an english teacher i too <gasps> as our listeners know was an english teacher for about a decade 
Um, and I don't have a master's in public health, just as you did not go to journalism school. My education in my field came from doing. Uh, so the, the take-home message there is that English majors can do anything. I mean, sort of. Can you read? Can you write? Like, are you a good communicator? Can you learn lessons? And like, I don't know. It's reading and writing and communication are uh, among, you know, I, I feel like you can do lots of jobs. It's And I was also a bartender for a long time. And that is also a very similar job, listening to people's stories. And, you know, I, I, I just... There's there's a lot of, of things that, that bridge multiple jobs, and I could leave this job tomorrow, honestly, and do something else, and that would be fine, too. I, I like the idea of living lots of lives. I do, too. I love that. But right now, in the life you're living, you have kind of become known as the leading expert, I would say, in internet disinformation. Is that fair? You and uh, you have a colleague whose name's escaping me, Ben. Yeah, Ben Collins and I have lived in the fever swamp for a very long time. That is true. Um, And I think, you know, the reason that we are known for this beat, the disinformation, misinformation beat, is because we've been, we were both at the Daily Beast, and the Daily Beast is is a news website that really punches above its weight. Like, we had, you know, basically 10 reporters doing like you know beating the new york times and so like we we had this beat that was like the internet and it was when people didn't really take the internet seriously and as you know very well niche communities like i don't know right-wing extremists and anti-vaccination activists became really important in the last couple of years and and weren't just these like fringy groups that we could ignore anymore. And so our, you know, decade of experience reporting on these fringy groups became really important. And so it was it was easy to say, oh, we know who these people are. We know what tactics they use to spread lies and fear on the Internet. And and so it was it was just really easy to pick up and, and not parachute into that beat. And not many people not many people were paying attention. It's true. And, you know, I think you and I would both argue that those fringy groups and that disinformation and misinformation was actually always important. It was always threatening lives. It's just that it's sort of in bright, neon, obvious lights right now for everyone to see. Yeah. And I, because it's an emergency now, right? Like, but I think someone, someone, I was talking to someone the other day and they were like, what do we do about the misinformation? And what do we do about the extremism? And I said, you know, we're in the consequence phase now. Like, there, you know, 15 minutes, 15 years ago, 10 years ago, five years ago, we could have done something, whether that's, um, you know, take a good look and build social media platforms a different way, or whether that's, you know, wipe misinformation, uh, do something about misinformation when it was being peddled by up and comers like Larry Cook at Stop Mandatory Vax as they were building their empires, or, you know, we could have done something before, but now... It's, I don't, I mean, we're just documenting it at this point, and I, I love the, the the interest in the beat now, but at this point, it's like, we've been saying for years, ignore these people at your own peril, and when the worst that they would do is, you know, lead 
um, I don't know, you know, parents not to vaccinate their children and create small outbreaks in Texas or, you know, California, or when the worst that they could do is um, cause, you know, a single mother in a Facebook group not to treat her child with flu and that one child died, you could sort of ignore it. And now no one can ignore it because it's an, you know, it's a pandemic and, you know, people, extremists are storming the Capitol. Like it can't be ignored anymore. But um, yeah, I just, I, I, it's such a shame that we ignored it for so long. Oh my gosh, that's so true. So I just want to pause here. And as long as we're sort of talking about this really meaty stuff. I just want to get your take on how you personally delineate disinformation, misinformation, and I don't know, rumor, um, goofballness, insurrectionism, you know, whatever else you want to call it. So there, there's a lot of difference between like, if, if my beat is a spectrum, you have, I think on one side of the spectrum, you know, uh, someone saying, I, I heard maybe the vaccines might, um, you know, ma- mess with your periods or they might cause infertility is something that's like, is this maybe true? And then on the other side, you have, you know, President Trump or Steve Bannon, it, this straight disinformation where someone is gaining politically or a Dell Big Tree raising millions of dollars on straight up lies that um, they either know or they should know better will kill people. Um, and it's it's a big spectrum. And I think, you know, a lot of, I get a lot of flack for this beat, which is like, I, people call me a hall monitor and an internet janitor. And sometimes I truly feel that. But I think that the way that I delineate this beat and like how to decide what's important in it is in a couple of ways. One, it's who's being harmed, right? Like misinformation, I consider being incorrect information that is shared with no malpurpose. It, especially health misinformation, as you know, is often shared in a way that's like uh, benevolent or in a way that's meant to help you. You know, it's like, yeah, it's like, um, if a lot of people with the vaccine, right? Like I'm hearing that it might cause infertility problems. Like they're doing that as a favor because they love and care for someone in their family. I can't tell you the number of Facebook groups I'm in right now where people are telling me just like they're heartbroken because their family members are getting the vaccination and they're scared for them. So like those people, I'm not going to write an expose on like, you know, your Aunt Kathy being afraid for you and spreading misinformation. That's sad, but it's not newsworthy. You know, where it gets uh, newsworthy for me is who's profiting off of these lies and who's profiting off peddling this fear. And, you know, it's often political people from, you know, like the president to uh, some right wing guy like Steve Bannon or Del Bigtree or whatever. Or sometimes it's, um, I'm sorry, and sometimes it's financial, and that's where our friend Del fits in, of course. And um, and so I think p- picking apart those those people and showing how they profit off of this misinformation is is important. And then the last way that I think is sort of important to cover this is from the platform angle, because you know there are a handful of very rich people who make a killing off of this false information, false information being spread on the platforms. And I think that like showing people sort of opening under the hood and saying, this is how 
Facebook works. And this is why, you know, you may have joined to see pictures of your grandchildren, but instead Facebook wants to show you these groups that make you log on more and more often because you feel like you're a part of something and you feel like you belong and this is your community and this is your tribe and you're sharing important information that's going to save the world. And, and I think like, like just laying those systems bare and the people who profit off of all of this is really where the news is for me. And the thing that I try to keep like my eye on is like a North star. So let's see if we can dive a little bit into each of those aspects. You mentioned kind of the political aspect earlier. Karen and I have been following vaccine misinformation and disinformation for a long time, like a decade or more when the wild west of Facebook, when we thought defending a page was like a big deal in, in pro vaccine advocacy. Um, but, uh, what we felt, what I feel like has changed over time, or it, 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 initially back in those days, we always felt like it was very separate from politics. We didn't really feel like vaccination, uh, misinformation, or disinformation was necessarily political. We kind of thought that you'd, we'd kind of say, you know, you'd see this on both sides of the aisle, different kinds of people that would spread misinformation. But I feel like that's changed. Do you feel like that's changed? And how? in recent years has uh, the politics of anti-vaccinationism changed? Yeah, I mean, I def I don't think it's changed to be like, like it used to be Democrats and now it's Republicans. It felt to me like it used to be apolitical. It just didn't feel political to me at all. It felt like it felt like, you know, wooism, right? It felt like just sort of mm -hmm. junk science, celebrity led, like it was, it was more of a, a mom movement than anything else. And I think like, for me, it's around the time that they started using like the health freedom language and the, the, um, it became more of a, almost like a libertarian feel. And it became like a war against like, against the government. And then, you know, in, in 2020, I think what we saw, like what really stood out to me was how you started seeing anti-vaxxers um, aligning with the reopen people at the state capitals because, and this was early, um, some of the, the first, like the first mobilizing I saw of anti-vaccination people along with extremist folks were at these reopen pro protests, like the one in California. I don't know if I'm sure you remember, but like the one the, where we saw the freedom angels were sitting mm -hmm. um, outside and they were being arrested or detained. They weren't even arrested, being detained by police. And they were in the front page of the New York Times. And I was like, what is happening? Like, who, like, how are these groups colliding? And like, and then just taking the Freedom Angels for an example, like two out of three of them, I've seen them at the Arizona audit for Trump. I've seen that, I saw them at the Capitol on January 6th. You know, you start seeing them at these specifically pro-Trump things. And I think it like, I don't, I mean, I don't know what's inside their head, so I can't, tell if it's just like such an anti-establishment sort of messaging resonated with them from the Trump campaign or the Trump era people. But like, it just seemed like suddenly they had far more political power than they did when they were just, you know, protesting California um, vaccination bills. Like suddenly they were part of a nationwide movement. They had people calling them patriots. They adopted all of that language. It was just, uh, it seemed like a melding of the extremist causes and like with 
those numbers comes power and and it, it just it's it's politically expedient and it really worked to combine that messaging um but i think they lost sorry now i'm going off on a tangent so oh, no. forgive we me love but like so the Freedom Angels, now they're like doing the mom Lisha in the desert with like AKs and they're like really getting deep. But I think that they lost one of one of the Freedom Angels, the brunette that was like, I don't know. Anyway, I really am going on a tangent, but so I don't know. Maybe she's like seen the light. But, I think um, there's a lot of infighting that happens with those particular personalities because it seems as though, yes. yeah, it seems as though they're always forming and reforming. I can't even remember the other names that they've had, but you know, when there were three of them standing, like chanting all the way through that how that assembly hearing in California, like that was a different group, but it had some of the same characters as the the Mamalisha Freedom Angels. So I think that's kind of what's going on is that I think they are people who are um, probably deeply unlikable and they keep getting upset at each other. And every once in a while you see some of that actually leak out. Like I'll see something in one of my groups where someone's like posting what one person in the anti-vax, in, in that anti-vax group is saying about the other one. It It's, I can't keep up with any of the names. I do not have a working knowledge of the people, but I'm like, yeah, that's pretty par for the course in anti-vax land, I think. That's very healthy. I, I have like two, sometimes I'm like, you don't actually need to be this far down this rabbit hole to do your job. And you should just like climb right out, please. Thank you. <laughs> Absolutely. So one of the things that, you know, I'm glad you brought up the, the mom militia, like the, the women who actually carry, you know, long rifles with them to play dates to talk about not liking vaccines. Um, but also sort of this crossroads between, you know, people who, you know, seem to want to violently overthrow the government and they don't like vaccines. Um, and you know, Devin Berghart at the Institute for Human Rights Education and Research talks, ta calls a certain really, really radicalized fringe of anti-vaxxers anti-vaccine insurrectionists. And I think that's an apt term. But it makes me wonder, you as a journalist who has to sort of uncover these things and try to bring sunlight to the reality of how we have a continuing pandemic even though we have enough vaccine for anyone who wants one or how in you know the 21st century children are still coming down with measles of all things are they getting more violent and do you ever get concerned about your own personal safety um so like i i don't think that most of these folks are violent people i mean for and they for all of their bluster it seems i think that like a lot of the mom militia people it seems like a larp to me um you know and and 99.9% of a lot of these like boogaloo extremists and and you know everybody and like you know open carry people who've been doing this sort of thing for decades like i, I don't know it it seems like larping to me um which is fine it doesn't hurt anybody um you know, I, I think I don't 
I don't, I've written a couple of stories, honestly, where it involves a single person. Um, and a couple of times I have felt just a little uneasy because it's almost like the abortion, um, conversation to me. So when I think of like, yeah, like anti-abortion activists, right? right? Like if you really believe like in your heart, you believe that abortion is like murdering babies, then um, I, and I grew up evangelical. So like I, I understand the thought process of these people who are like, if someone was going to murder a baby in front of me, I would, you know, want to stop them. And there are some people that are, their brains are broken and they have this any means necessary ideology. And like, we've seen what happens when crazy people believe crazy things and want to take the, you know, the, put it in their own hands. And we've seen the murder of abortion doctors. And so that keeps me up at night sometimes, because if these folks truly believe that like Bill Gates is inserting like some sort of demonic chip into to their children, or they believe that the school board is going to, you know, mandate a COVID vaccine and it will kill their kids. Like, and, and it's, it's what could these people be capable of? Well, I've covered enough extremism and I've covered enough mass violence that like, I wouldn't be surprised at all. Um, I would be, you know, horrified, but it, it worries me. The thing that keeps me up at night is unfortunately like the, the, it's not like we, there is violence and harm right now. And it is being not necessarily someone in a, you know, with a gun at, at a door, but it's, it's harassing, you know, mothers who've, or women who've lost their children and, you know, it's harassing, and saying that, you know, the vaccine did this to them or that, and it, it's causing a lot of pain in, in, in specific individuals. And it's a lot of this anti-vaccination misinformation is like literally extending the pandemic. It's, it's, it's killing people. I mean, we've seen, I don't know, you've seen the news reports there. Like every other day I see an example of someone who is like an anti-vaccine, you know, right-wing activist died from COVID or like, I'll look at, there's a, this great, um, Twitter profile called, um, COVID, uh, the faces of COVID and it's just obits. And sometimes I don't know why I do it to myself, but sometimes I'll look at the people who have died and who are featured in there. And then I'll just look at their social media profiles and I can't tell you, I mean, I literally can't count the number of times I've seen like anti-vaccination messaging from people who've recently died of COVID and it's just like the harm is here. Hopefully you haven't interviewed or had to interview people that are as kind of scary as you described earlier. But can you tell us about maybe interviews with the vaccine hesitant or full anti-vaxxers that were the most interesting to you Gosh. and what you've kind of learned from them? I mean, I've interviewed Del Bigtree and... Um, I, I, what I got from that, and I, I've talked to RFK before, and what I've gotten from those sort of interactions was like, it's actually pointless to talk to these people. Um, they're not, they're, they're not, what they have to say isn't important, right? Because it's not true, and it's self-serving, and these um, 
folks are grifters. They make a ton of money on the backs of their lies. So like, that's not helpful at all. Um, Do you get a sense from them as far as the level of um, intentional grift versus belief in what they're doing? Yeah, I mean, it's very hard to say, right? Like, I, I, I mean, I can, I can't, I mean, I'm not a mind reader. I'm just an re internet reporter. Um, I, from my interaction with RFK Jr., I tend to believe that he truly believes what he's selling. Mm -hmm. um, he mm -hmm. seems like a true believer to me who has absolutely just desecrated his legacy. Um, uh, I am, uh, I'm less, I'm more hesitant to ascribe such, um, such real, honest, sincere passion to the, um, television producer, um, who's <laughs> building a, God, <laughs> who's literally building, this... I love his like new, um, his new fundraising shtick. Emmy like, award winning. Like where you have the, to the, donate the, a the Oh God. Yes. <laughs> He's like. Buy a brick. Buy a brick. Can you believe it? And then every day when I walk to my studio, I'll step on this road and it's like. Stepping on you. God, a fool in It's very way. apt actually. Yeah. No, it really, I mean, it really that... is. He, you are the road that he will take to his like. Yeah beautiful studio it's it makes me so sad yeah that's 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 kind of a that that really uh tracks with what i've believed about rfk and big tree uh as kind of that spectrum of like believer to grifter and then i kind of on the far end of grifting i put andrew wakefield who i think you know has the knowledge to know that what he's doing is completely wrong <laughs> and so yeah that that's really interesting to hear yeah, I mean the thing. About, I, I mean, I'll never get it. I don't. I'll never get over the Wakefield thing. I mean, I, I I know that there have always been snake oil salesmen, but like, I I just like we we know like we know what he did. We know that he you know was totally unethical and irresponsible, and like was selling out his research and like it just doesn't matter like the truth doesn't matter sometimes and this is just a I try not to waste my energy too much on it but I do think it's like what makes me really like mad as a human in this world beyond just being a reporter is that you know I look at you know the leaders of this movement and yes there we have Tenpenny and a couple of other like lower level women but when I think of the real heavy hitters they're all men and like yes. some without kids and it's like get out like and and the idea that they've like managed to be pied pipers yes. for all of these women especially women who have children with like developmental disabilities i just and intellectual disabilities who are looking for looking for a savior looking for a reason looking for purpose is like i don't know how you sleep at night if you don't believe this stuff sincerely i i don't know how they sleep i think that is a really good question and I I have no idea I have no idea how they're so good at self-promotion and putting themselves first all the time like I don't know how to do that I, I don't know how you know I know how RFK sleeps because I agree with you that he believes but Wakefield Wakefield's 100% about Wakefield and I you know and 
I also have a question in my brain about Elle McPherson, but I think that would take us down a rabbit hole. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, yes. <laughs> Just yes. Me that too. is the answer to the question I was going to ask. Um, but a real question, which I think will round out the conversation nicely, is, you know, there is a, a lot of emotion in this entire topic that it's not just that people are being misled to believe something goofy you know it's not like these are people who think that the moon landing was faked or that the earth is flat these are people who are making decisions about their health and in extension that the health of their communities and so the disinformation is morally repugnant it's ethically wrong it is maddening it's all it's dangerous it's all of these things but you're a journalist covering this and a lot of times um journalists i you know particularly like local tv news journalists who are used to you know maybe covering the dog catcher and then they have to cover a vaccine issue really believe that they need to cover sort of both sides give both sides equal credence um and let the audience decide for themselves what's going on and i know from reading extensively what you've written that um your philosophy is not a both sides should win. I'm wondering what sort of philosophy you take when you're covering something as fraught as disinformation, where there's clearly like a right factual, you know, arena and a, a wrong arena. How, how do you, how are you fair about that? Um, yeah, I mean, there's not two sides to the safety of vaccines. Like there's, there's just, there's not two sides. There's, um, the truth and there are, um, misunderstandings and straight lies. And so like, uh, again, like my focus is I let the science reporters and the, the medical reporters stick to, um, stick to the positive messaging, right? And, and like their job and the job, the very important job of folks like you and science communicators is to get that positive messaging out and that true messaging out. And my job, because it is my beat, is to find out when people are profiting from lies, whether that's tech companies or disinformation peddlers. And so, you know, my job's pretty easy actually, because I can just say that person is lying and here's how much money they're making off the lies and here's who's being harmed by the lies. Like that's literally the formula for almost every single story I do. So it's not rocket science. Um, it's just, and sadly, you know, these days it's just telling the same story over and over again, the only real difference is that the number of people harmed is growing exponentially. It's so true. I remember I reported this story, um, gosh, it must, it was years ago, right? That like when um, Vaccinate Your Family was trying to make YouTube videos. Oh, right. And um, couldn't because right after the video, the the next video would be um, a video from an anti-vaxxer. And so if you, you know, Amy told me if you blinked, 
you would actually think it was still her video playing. Mm-hmm. And because of that, they just stopped putting videos on YouTube. And, and because there was no way to stop the disinformation from seeping in. There was no customer service at YouTube. Right. There was no policy against lies and misinformation. And so, like, you just had to take yourself away. And I, the good thing that I think is coming out of the last year is that we have seen science communicators, um, medical professionals on TikTok and Twitter and Instagram sort of come forward and say, we have to be loud about the mm-hmm. truth. And like, I'm just so grateful for for that. And, and it's, it's new, but I have to believe that it's helping. I hope so. Thank you so much for joining us. It's, it's always wonderful to talk to you. I think it's always wonderful to talk to you. And I really appreciate you and, and the chance to join you. And thank all of you for joining us today. It was great having you here to join in the conversation. Before we go, I just want to mention that in this little space, I think you would love to hear your name. I think you would love to hear someone say, someone being me, thank you, Fred Jenkins, for helping bring new donors to Voices for Vaccines. We're thanking you by name on this Vax Talk podcast. If you're one of those people who just loves hearing their name said, I mean, honestly, that's me. I love my name being said out loud. Then um, go to the show notes and click on the link that reads a community thrives dot com slash organization slash voices for vaccines. I know that was long. That's why I put it in the show notes. You go there, you'll see voices for vaccines and you'll see two big buttons. One says donate and one says fundraise. Now you want to click on fundraise because you want to hear your name read aloud right here in this space. You click on fundraise, you build a little fundraiser. It'll take you about three to four minutes and then you send it to all your friends. Anyone who's able to solicit 50 donors who donate any amount. $5 doesn't matter. We just want lots of donors. Anyone who's able to uh, to generate 50 donors will be thanked by name right here. I know. Have you (laughs) ever heard such a great perk? It's incredible. Yeah. It's like... uh, now I can't remember the name of it. What's that? What's that service uh, where celebrities will talk to you? You pick Cameo. It's like Cameo. Uh, it's like Cameo. It's like Cameo. Only better. it's just us. Yeah. Or, but better. Better. And it's us, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> How much money do you think you and I could make off Cameo? Oh, fifty cents. I mean, I could yeah. probably get maybe a pop at the store. That'd be great. That would be great, right? Yeah. And in Iowa, you can return the can when you're done, so it's wonderful. Yeah, it's not that. Okay, another issue. (laughs) Anyhow, thank you for (laughs) joining us. My name is Karen Ernst. I'm the Executive Director of Voices for Vaccines. You can find us at VoicesForVaccines.org. And I'm Dr. Nathan Boonstra, General Pediatrician here uh, at Blank Jones Hospital. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is PedsGeekMD, and you can also find me various other social media. To learn more, visit Faxtalk.com.